0: I don't know what the body exactly looks like, but if you'll be patient with me, I promise you that what's inside is more akin to some kind of an Abrams tank because I think that what I'm going to talk to you about tonight is is really a tool for destroying something. It's a tool that's made for the destruction of the enemy. I find it very interesting that uh, what Jason taught you or preached to us so eloquently this week, dealt with all the way to empty. What I'm going to teach you about tonight is really, a, if, if Christianity was a linear progression, it would be just the very next thing. It's about what Jesus puts in you. When you finally get to that place, as he, as he said, and, and say, Lord, this is it. I'm done. I, there's nothing left. And he says, perfect. Perfect, son, it's about time. You're finally there. What I want to talk to you about is what happens next. And rest assured that Jason and I did not collude this idea. We we haven't spoken a single word about it, I promise. It's just an indication that God really knows what he's doing and that uh, the fact that I'm involved says that he'll just use any old willing body. If you don't mind, let's stand one more time in honor of the word. I don't ask you to do this often, but I just felt like it would be appropriate today. I'm going to start with one, one verse of Scripture that you all know and that we all crow about quite often. It's found in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. And the Bible says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high until ye be endued with power from on high. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem, until ye be endued with power from on high. I like to name things. I I always feel like I should name it, and not all speakers and teachers and preachers do that, but I just feel like if I create something, I, I need to be able to differentiate it from something else. So I give it a name. Give it a name. Call it something. I want to title my effort tonight, Barney's Bullet. Barney's <laughs> Bullet. Do y'all know who Barney is? Is there anybody here who doesn't know who Barney is? Excellent. Excellent. As a as a young child, I grew up in a home that was uh, of no particular uh, church denomination. They, we were we were not necessarily evil people, but we did not associate ourselves with any real form of religion. But my mother was, was fairly particular about what she allowed me to watch on television as a child. And as I remember, there were basically three shows that I had unlimited access to. The first one was Little House on the Prairie. My mother was in love with Michael Landon, and I think that's why I got to watch that one. Vernell's shaking her head because she probably likes him too. Little House on the Prairie. The second one was a little more risque. It was Bonanza. I could watch all of the Bonanza I wanted. Again, Michael Landon, just to point that out. The third one, as you might guess, is and was the Andy Griffith Show. I really loved the Andy Griffith Show when I was a kid. And as a matter of fact, I'm pretty fond of it still to this day. For anybody who uh, doesn't know much about Barney and Andy, let let me just give you a little bit of background. Uh, The Andy Griffith Show ran for a period of eight years. It began in 1960 and ran through the year uh, 1968. The storyline usually centered around the two, count them, two law enforcement officials that kept things under control, you could say, in Mayberry, which was a fictional town in North Carolina. Those two people were, number one, Andy Griffith, he was the ever humble, wise, and all-knowing sheriff of the town that that never seemed to need a weapon for some reason. Andy didn't need a gun, that was kind of his thing. Barney Fife, on the other hand, was a little bit different. His personality was a whole lot different, and and Don Knotts did a, a wonderful job of creating the character. He was a zealous and gullible deputy who Carried a gun, but incidentally was only allowed to have one single bullet. Incidentally, that had to be kept in his shirt pocket. I'm glad Billy's here tonight because I have some questions for him. Billy, is that, is that normal? I mean, I've never been a policeman. That's not normal. Okay, good. Let me ask you this. When you're like in your full battle array, you know, I see tear gas and I see that, that shocker thing that you taser or whatever that is. And I see this pistol on your side. When, when you're out on patrol, is that gun loaded? Is there around in the chamber? So with Billy's gun, all you've got to do is pull the trigger. It's a glock, I think, and there's there's no safety on a glock. You just you pull the trigger and the gun goes off. That's it. There's no distance between the shirt pocket and the and the bullet and the gun and all of that. That's specific to Barney, you understand. <laughs> but what does it tell us about Mr. Fife? What does it say that Barney had to keep his one bullet in his shirt pocket and not in his weapon? I'll get to that in a little bit, but let me point out a couple of other things. Barney Fife, Bernard P. Fife as he was known, was a very good man. He had a number of uh, high-quality traits, traits that were desirable and, and to be admired by the general public. Number one, he was an honest fellow. I don't ever remember Barney, and I have seen, I'm telling y'all more than I should, but I have seen every episode of the Andy Griffith Show multiple times. I don't remember all of them, but I remember most, and Barney was was an honest man. I don't ever remember Barney really lying to anyone or deceiving anyone. He was just an honest man. The second thing that really always stood out about Barney was that he was very, very loyal. Barney was loyal to his friend Andy. He was loyal to that sheriff who employed him. He was loyal to the people of Mayberry that he vowed to protect and to serve. He was very loyal. Thirdly, Barney was kind. He was somewhat misdirected, misguided at times, but Barney always lavished the opportunity to, to mentor a child like Opie or his friends. He was very kind. He liked the young folks. That list could, could probably continue, but, but I'll quit there. And you understand, you get the point that by most modern standards, Barney Fife was a good man. But there's something about his character that always bothered me, and it still bothers me today. Barney Fife, Deputy Bernard P. Fife, was the absolute essence of insecurity. There was so much about him that was just lost. Now, he had oftentimes put on this air of authority and absolute power, but everybody who ever saw it saw right through it. Barney is and was the picture of insecurity. While he was without any doubt a symbol of the law, and he definitely represented represented something much larger than himself, he never really seemed to appropriately or properly couple the two things together. He never seemed to really couple being a man, being Barney, and being a lawman, being a symbol of the law. Barney understood the concept of the law, and the concept of the law is this, is that a a person who wears the badge, as our friend Brother Billy does, and represents the law, stands against the evildoers, we'll call them, the criminals, the folks who are not so good, the folks who are seedy, he stands against them in lieu of the entire society doing so. But without the law, you see, it would just be one man against the evil. You couldn't win that way. The law gives a man, gives a, a even a deputy Barney Fife. Gives him the authority to act. Gives him the authority to act. His his authority is underwritten by the constituents. Those people who live within the municipality that employ him. Barney understood that. But there was something that hindered Barney. There was something that hindered Barney. And his boss knew it. Andy knew what hindered Barney. He knew that, that when Barney would get into a, a sticky situation, maybe with some real danger at hand, that he would almost always fold under the pressure. He would fold in that moment when he needed to, to exert his authority the most. He also knew that Barney would, would sometimes, and often as a matter of fact, yield his uh, wield rather his, his authority inappropriately. That there would be times when he didn't need to pull out his gun. And he didn't need to cite the law line by line. It was inappropriate, but Barney would always get it backwards. He couldn't get it out when he needed to, and he couldn't keep it in when he needed to get it out. It was always that problem. So Andy allowed him only to carry the one bullet. And beyond that, wouldn't even let him keep it in his weapon. Had to keep it in his shirt pocket. Just enough to keep Barney believing that he actually did possess some kind of authority. Just enough. Let me leave Barney for a little bit. Jesus told those people that day in the the scripture, that that, that I read to you, that you read on the screens, that they were to wait at Jerusalem until they were endued with power. The word endued means to provide with, or as one uh, other translation says, it means to clothe. They were to wait at Jerusalem until Jesus clothed or cloaked them in power. The word power is translated from the Greek word dunamis or dynamon. Dunamis or dynamon, which is the root of our modern word dynamic. The literal translation of that word is a force producing a change. A force producing a change. Then we read on. We leave the end of John and we go into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 Verse 4 starts and says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, saith he, which saith he, ye have heard of me. And then verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Jesus is reassuring them that their clothing of power is soon to come. And he affirms that that power is contained in this gift of the Holy Ghost. Then in verse 6, the Bible says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And when I read that, you know, this is so mean. This, This statement right here is so, Brian, what it is is those disciples see what Jesus is saying, and they try to go another step. Lord, I want to know to what end is all this about. Tell me where we're going so that I can help you get there. Really what it comes down to. Is it now, Lord, that you're going you're gonna to restore the kingdom to Israel? Typical, typical humanity. What's going to happen, Jesus? He responds to them in verse 7 by saying, And he said, for it is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. It's kind of a little bit of rebuffing what he says there. The knowledge of his timing isn't part of our authority. That's God's dominion. That's the Father's dominion and it's his authority. However, he does give us this statement. But ye shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus reassures them by saying, you're going to have some duminous, you're going to have some power come to you. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to impart a portion of my authority to you. Remember what Jesus said in John 14. Listen now. Jesus said verily twice. That's a big deal. When he speaks anything, we listen. When he says verily once, we listen a little extra somehow, whatever that is. When he says it twice, bud, I mean, you just need to do what you got to do to find out what he's saying. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Verily, verily, listen, Jesus says, the stuff that I did, the stuff that you saw me do here, you're going to do those things, and not only are you going to do that, look, Jesus did some pretty cool stuff. I mean, there were sick people healed and blind and deaf, and there were some dead people raised. I mean, he even died himself and brought himself back to life. He said to these disciples, you're going to do that and you're going to do more. Your works will exceed what you've seen me do. That's a word from Jesus about the quality and the quantity of the authority that we've been given by him. And he said, because I go unto my Father. What's the extension there? Jesus had to ascend. He had to go to the Father so that the Comforter would come. The Comforter was the Holy Ghost. The Comforter is what he described as bringing this power, this dunamis to us. The force that effects a change. Because he goes to the Father, we get this. I hope y'all are beginning to get the picture a little bit tonight. And I, I can't pass the moment by without addressing this. We're talking about those people, those among us who have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We're talking about that that point when we've been all the way to empty, Jason, and God starts to put something back into that empty place. What He puts there is authoritative. It's power. It's a force that can affect a change. But if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there is... There's a tremendous void of authority in your life. Folks, you can't fight the battles of this day and time without the authority that is granted to you by God through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It'd be just like the story of that lawman. Without the law behind him, he's just one guy. He's just Billy Thornton facing a world full of evil. He can't do it on his own. He's got to have the underwritten authority of God. We have to have the power of the Holy Ghost. We have to have a badge to stand on. We have to have that covering of divine power, that cloak, that clothing of power. We must have it. We must be underwritten by God's authority. But what about those of us who have received the Holy Ghost? And we do claim to maintain a a close relationship with God. What about us? Remember Barney, y'all. Remember Barney. Barney wore a badge. It's on the top of his hat at the moment. I don't see the one on his shirt. Barney wore a badge. Barney Barney had been sworn in. He, He had promised, he had committed to do the things that a lawman does. To uphold the law, to protect and serve, Barney possessed the authority that he needed. But there it is again. There's something wrong with Barney. He's got every tool that he needs at his disposal. The law is behind him. His supervisor is behind him. The people of his town are behind him. But yet there is something wrong with Barney. Again, he's the picture of insecurity. Why is that? Why is that? Why couldn't old Barn get it together? You ready? Barney believed that his fear undermined his authority. Let me say that again. Barney Fife believed that his fear undermined. His authority. I have at times in my own experience followed Barney's failure. Really have. I have believed at times that my weakness diminished God's authority in me. But it doesn't. God's authority is autonomous and sovereign. It doesn't matter what you are, it doesn't matter who. Who you fussed at that day, it doesn't matter who fussed at you that day. God's authority, granted through the power of the Holy Ghost, is absolute all by itself. It's sovereign, even as it applies to you and I. But there is a moment when insecurity changes its state. And when I say its state, I mean like its physical state, like a gas or a liquid or a solid. It changes its state at a certain point. It's conceived as fear. Listen now, insecurity is conceived as fear. But it culminates as a failure of faith. That's an abstract concept, so let let me do my very best to illustrate it. Because I'm not really good with abstract either. Much better with concrete. Have you ever felt like God gave you an instruction? Maybe he gave you some insight about someone's hurt and whispered in your ear, Kelton, they're hurting. Talk to them. There's hurt there. There's pain there. Offer to pray for them. Do it now, Kelton. Y'all ever heard that? Or maybe maybe someone, uh, you're on the job and, and someone tells an off-color joke. And you really don't want to be a part of it, but you're there. And the Spirit whispers to you, take a stand. Say something. Tell them that's not right. That's the moment when insecurity changes its state. It transforms from a fear in your mind to a potential failure of faith that's manifest in this, a lack of action. So when that little voice says to you, pray now, Vernell, they're hurting, offer to pray. And that little voice in your head says, wait a minute now, hold on. If I bring that up, uh, I'm going to be vulnerable. And, um, and they, may, they may laugh or what will they think of me now? And, you know, where I am is perfectly safe. I don't feel, I feel great. And that's really what it's all about. I mean, I'm happy, right? It's that little voice in your mind that changes from a simple fear to your lack of action, which is a failure of faith. Folks, we've received the gift of the Holy Ghost. We're just like Barney. We've been sworn in. We've been given tools. We've been commissioned to do some things. But sometimes we fail, just like he did, to properly couple ourselves to that authority. What couples humanity to God's authority is grace. What what bridges the gap between that question in your mind and God's authority and purpose for your life is grace. It's the same thing that saves us. His grace couples us to His power. And our faith in that authority is what activates the whole process. Our faith activates the whole thing. Our very salvation is dependent upon this concept. Listen to Ephesians 2 and 8. Y'all know this. For by grace you are saved through what? Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. We need to view the position of authority that we've been granted through the same grace-laden perceptive, per, perspective that we see our salvation. It's not about our ability. We've got to guard against that. That's something that you need to guard your heart against, and I have to guard my heart against that. It's not about my ability to do anything. It's not about my ability to even communicate to you. Jason is a wonderful communicator and he's talented and educated, but it's not about his ability to communicate a message to you. But it is completely, totally about our faith in his ability. Without your faith and his grace, there is no connection between his world and ours. We're the feet on the ground, you see. There has to be the link between the two. And without your faith and His grace, we can't be saved, we can't be made well, there's no wholeness to us. But let me tell you, I want you to guard against that, but I'll I'll go as far as to say this. When a child of God really begins to believe what they say they believe, when you really start getting in the word and reading and understanding in your mind you know it's not a religious experience anymore you really start believing that stuff there's no mistaking that confidence for insecurity. you will know who believes and who doesn't and just as an aside, th- there's coming a day and I see this more and more and it's not because um, it's not because I see it and it's coming to fruition. It's It's been coming to fruition and I've been blind. But I see that this whole world is changing and what I described to you in the beginning of this lesson tonight is our modern American society really accepts who we are. They, they kind of embrace it. I mean, we want to be martyrs and we want to not believe that. But ultimately what we do here is very socially acceptable in our culture. Everybody's fine with it. But that's going to change at some point. I was having a conversation with my wife and someone last night, and we were talking about the tribulation, and I'm, I, don't, I don't claim to know when we're going post, mid, after. I, I have no idea, to be honest with you. <laughs> I have my opinions, but they're worth nothing. But the worse it gets, the harder it is for you to live, the more you better believe. Because if you don't believe this for real, you're going to be weeded out in those times. There's going to be a great falling away. There's going to be a great falling away, and it's, it's not because we're falling asleep. It's going to be because we don't believe. Some of us don't believe. Let me get off of that. Let me give you a little personal aside here, and, and I want to speak to you just a, a little bit about security and confidence. Some time ago, it's probably been a couple of months now, I committed to a, a, a little season of prayer for our our pastor and his wife and his family. Prayed for them for a week every night for about 30 minutes or so. And I committed to it uh, at a specific time from 9.30 to 10 o'clock every night. I I prayed for for Pastor and Sister Murphy and for Casey and Chris, for Joseph and Noah, and uh, for Marcus and Cassie, their nucleus of a family. And I had gotten into the habit, and and I have gotten into the habit, of praying outside at night. Because I'm, I'm kind of a stargazer, I, I like the night sky, and it, it, it made me feel really cool to pray outside at night. And I was doing that one night, and I was finishing up uh, essentially that, that portion of my prayer time, and I was praying specifically against some spirits that I had imagined would, would fight the ministry, would fight the leadership of this church, because I really think that, that there's some things going on at Grace that are really, really cool. And that God just all up in it. But I was praying about some specific things. Nothing that I knew. And I still don't know if those things are legitimate or not. But I figured it couldn't hurt to pray. Right? So I was doing that. And I, I just became, I started feeling more and more of this really cool spiritual confidence. And I hadn't told anybody about it. it even my wife before, before tonight. And she never gets to hear this stuff beforehand. So... Y'all should all feel special. (laughs) But I started to feel really confident. And I I was saying this stuff out out loud. And the more I prayed, the more I said, the more I dreamed in my mind what I I could stop with my prayer, the more I could put my prayer between hell and pastor and his family, the more confident I became. And after just a few minutes, I'm telling you, I was outside in my front yard at night, and I was looking for the devil. I wanted to find him. I'm serious. It was a very, very interesting experience. Merrill. I was looking into the trees, and I was saying, y'all, you come on out of there, because when I see you, Bubba, it's going to be on. I'm going to jump on you. Very, very interesting. And to me, it, it would not have mattered if all of hell would have showed up on Cane Market Road that night. Wouldn't have bothered me a bit. Because I had gotten the absolute, just a little glimpse of what Jesus says we have. Of what he says that he, that he gave us, that we received, the dunamis, the power that God himself has. There's nothing for us to fear. There is nothing for us to fear. Now, I'm a reasonably confident person and uh, it, it hasn't always been that way. When I was a kid, I was terribly shy, and I, was, uh, I, I lacked any kind of confidence. But I've done some, some difficult things in my life, and God has just seen me through it. But I can honestly say that I have never felt confidence of any kind like I felt in my front yard that night at 10 o'clock. It was incredible. And it wasn't just a passing silliness. It was God showing me something. It was Him imparting a little bit of that that clothing to me, that covering. It's Him showing me just a glimpse of the authority that He clothes us in. I'm talking about stuff that God will put in you after you've gone all the way to empty. He'll put in you after you've gone all the way to empty. If you have the Holy Ghost, you have the power and authority. The enemy of your soul, the devil, he doesn't have any power and he doesn't have any authority. He operates through two things, fear and doubt. And we previously established that those two things are actually the absence of something and not the presence of anything at all. See, he's the prince of the power of the air. He can affect some things, but in here... No authority, people. Between your ears and behind your eyes, that's all yours and God's. The devil can affect your circumstances, but he can't affect your mind. You're in charge of that. Remember the exchange between Pilate and Jesus in John 19? And I'm taking just a little bit of license here. I'm not reading it directly, but Pilate essentially asked Jesus who he was. Who are you? And Jesus, he didn't didn't really see the need to answer the question. So he just didn't say anything. He stood there and looked at Pilate. And then Pilate got a little mouthy with him and he said, You know, I am the guy that has the power to crucify you and I am the guy that has the power to release you. Shouldn't you at least be talking to me? Got a little mouthy. Didn't know who he was talking to. And Jesus quite confidently responded and said, the power, whatever power that you have was given to you by me so that my purpose would be fulfilled. So no, I really don't need to be talking to you. You're going to do what I've already told you to do, which is crucify me. The same thing applies to our lives, people. Whatever the enemy does to you, he does with the consent of God Almighty. And the purpose of God allowing that isn't to play with you. He's not playing with you like a, a doll of some kind. It's to bring his perfect plan for you to fruition. Listen to me now. So truth be told, the devil actually works for God in perfecting God's work in us. What kind of irony is that? Has the devil figured that out? It seems like if he had figured it out, he'd leave us alone so that the work wouldn't be perfected. That's just me. Mm. So then, we have the ability to make an informed choice now. Are we going to be like old Barney? Are we going to carelessly wave our God-granted authority around for... Not much more than an attempt to demonstrate that we're the law in these parts when nothing like that is warranted. Does that bring any glory to the Father? Of course it does. What about when it's time to exercise God's authority? Are we going to start shaking and and whip out our empty pistol out of our holster and start grappling for a, a single bullet that we think is in our left shirt pocket? We're going to be like old Barn. For some of us, including myself, I'm ashamed to say that at times those are real-life reactions. And the tragedy is that in in either scenario, the world who desperately looks for and needs some kind of a connection to God, they fail to see one. All they see is an old babified Barney, insecure, insecure, Unchanged. All they're able to see, listen, is a person who has maybe a form of godliness, but denies any power that comes with it. The Bible says the form of godliness denying the power thereof. That's what Barney was. He was a form of the law, he was a shell, but he didn't have any power. He had all the things he needed, he had the tools and he had the people behind him. He had a gun, and he could have had some more bullets, but he failed. He failed. I'm not fussing tonight. Y'all understand, just sharing what I feel. I would, however, encourage you to try the shoe on just to make sure it doesn't fit. As I wrap up tonight, let uh, let me share just this one final thought with you. Aunt V gave me a little scrap of paper a while back. Aunt V's Burnell as my care group refers to her. She gave me a little scrap of paper a while back. She doesn't know what I'm talking about because she gives me little scraps of paper all the time. <laughs> but she gave me this one in particular, and at the moment it's residing on the, on the sun visor of my truck. I look at it every day. And it had a handwritten note on it, and it, it was a, um, a quote attributed to Abraham Lincoln, and it just says, Nearly any man can stand adversity. But if you truly want to test a man's character, give him power. There's some truth in that. I think there's a lot of truth in it. The the tone of what President Lincoln said there indicated to me that his focus was on the presence of power potentially corrupting a man. You know, you can go through trouble. The the truth is, is, this is dangerous to say, especially for me, but... You don't have much choice about living through trouble. I mean, you got to live, right? It's not like you can really change much. But when you're given power, you see, now you can do what you want to do because you have power. You have a force that can affect a change. That's what he was talking about, but I see a different angle. What about when we fail to use the authority that we have been given? What happens then? God's granted us some authority, and He gave it to us for a purpose. What about when we fail to use it? What are you doing, Grace, with God's authority in your life? What are you doing with the power of the Holy Ghost that resides in you? What are you doing with it? It's one man's opinion that failing to use it is just as much a travesty as abusing it is. Let me say that this way. I'm going to use Brother Billy again since he's here. I hate to do this because it might make him look bad. but If Brother Billy was in his patrol vehicle one day and he's got his gun on and his belt and his badge, he's sitting there doing whatever policemen do. I don't know. They probably do more paperwork than anything else. (laughs) And he sees a man being mugged, but he doesn't do anything about it. Now, he has the authority. He has the backing. His commission of the law says, your responsibility, Billy Thornton, is to stop this. But he doesn't do it. Is he any different than the guy who mugged the man himself? Something to think about. James 4 and 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There are some things that we are called to do, and if we don't do them, we are succumbing to sin. The Bible doesn't make any determination that a sin of omission is less a sin than a sin of commission. We've been clothed in power, church. I've proved it to you through the word and you already knew it. We are clothed in power. We are granted authority that's absolute, that's underwritten by the only real authority in all the universe. It's sovereign its power all on its own. If when we are called upon, we do nothing, I'm not so sure that we aren't just mugging the kingdom. We have got to get to the place where we understand. We get a little glimpse of how much stuff, how many human situations walk by us every day included. How many times someone passes us by and we've got the badge and we've got a gun, we've got the power, we've got the authority of God behind us. We don't do a thing. That is so sad. That is so sad. I want you to go home with that thought in mind tonight. I'm going to let Merrill finish up here in just a bit. But I want you to go home And I want you to think, what have I not done? Where could the power that that I've been given, where could it have been applied? What could I have stopped? What change could that power have affected in someone else's life? Have I committed the sin of omission? Have I committed the sin of omission? We're, We're much more accepting, I feel like of the sin of omission than we are of commission. We will generally look at someone who is being overtly sinful and condemn them. But we won't look at ourselves and view what we didn't do. It's always tough when it's you. It's always easy when it's someone else. The sins of omission. I'm done. I appreciate your attention. Meryl, you can...